Good morning. Good morning. Great to see all of you here, um, usually at Irvine, so this is a treat to be invited back. Uh, just a little quick question I'd like for you to share with the person next to you. It's a little bit more on the serious side, but I thought it'd be a good introduction to kind of our sermon this morning. So with the person next to you, here's the question. If you were to die today and you go before God and God asks you, what did you live for? Well, what would you say? I know it's heavy, but with the person next to you, just think about that a little bit and share in a very honest way. What would your answer be to that? Go ahead. All right, I'm not going to ask for your answer, but for the Christian, the hope is that we would be living for the glory of God. Amen? Okay, I don't know if you didn't have your coffee this morning, all right? We're going to try that again. I mean, the hope for the Christian brother or sister that knows the amazing unconditional love of God is that we would live for his glory and his glory alone. Amen? In a way where we make much of Jesus with the little short amount of time that we have here where he would get all the admiration, attention, praise, and worship, and that we would live in a way where we are impacting his kingdom and the worship that is due his name. This is why, actually, our passage this morning is so important for us. Because Jesus is going to address something that is counter to that very foundational principle that should be in our lives. So we're going to be looking at these short four verses from the Sermon on the Mount so that we get to understand a little bit more about God's heart and his desire for our lives. You with me? Okay. I think it's going to get better as we go along. So that's going to be my assumption, so we'll just go along. The first one, the first point is this, that we ought to be aware of our heart motive for good works. Now, motives matter. You guys know that, right? Motives matter. If you see your friend ditch school, but later on, you find out that he ditched school because he wanted to give a hot meal to his sick grandmother who hadn't eaten all day. Your perspective on his actions would change based on his motive, right? If, you, if you, any of you guys have kids, if you come home, you find that your kids cleaned the whole house. It's good. But then you find out later it's because they got expelled from school that day. And they wanted to quell your anger and your judgment. Motives matter. And so that's why Jesus looks at the crowd here. And he says something very interesting. He says, first word, beware. When do we use that word? Okay, so that's a question. So when do we use that word, beware? What's well, a warning? When there's something impending, dangerous, that you need to be careful of. And in the Greek, if you follow, it's actually in the present tense. And so which which means we have to continually beware, that you have to be constantly vigilant about the impending danger around us. So what is this danger that we ought to be constantly vigilant about? Well, it's this. He says you ought to be careful, beware of practicing your righteousness, in other words, good works, before other people in order for the purpose of to be seen by them. That's the danger, that we need to be vigilant, to fight against. Now, you know what's interesting, actually, in the same sermon, in chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus turned to the crowd and he said, you are the light of the world. Do you guys remember that? In verse 14. Same sermon. He just said, hey, verse 14, you are the light of the world. So in verse 16, what ought you to do? Well, it says this in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Same sermon. 
Is this a contradiction? All of a sudden, Jesus is saying, shine your light, make it, make sure they see your good works. And here, it's like, well, be careful. Don't do it in front of people. Just a little interaction time with the person that you shared with before. What's the difference? Is this a contradiction or not? Go ahead. Share real quickly. All right, I'm going to call on someone. Pastor Paul, is this a contradiction? Okay, or not? Okay, why? What's the difference? Same sermon. Okay, short and sweet. I like it. I think what, what he's getting at is in verse 16, the motive is very different, isn't it? That the good works will be done publicly. That's not the issue. The issue is that the motive in verse 16 that Jesus is trying to point his people to is shine the light. Do your good works in a way where God is glorified, where the light is shining on him. And here in chapter 6, verse 1, he's saying you ought to be careful because sometimes our temptation and the motive sometimes deep within all of us is that we might do good works for the sake of people patting us on the back, for people looking at us and not the light on God, but the light on us. I'm going to tell you something. This is very dangerous. And the scary thing is this is in all of us. It's in all of us. And it's been a problem for humankind since the beginning of time. If you look at Genesis 11, the people of God, they built a tower. Do you guys remember that tower? The name of the tower was what? Babel. And then in verse 4 of Genesis 11, it tells us the reason why. The reason was this. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. So that what? Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. See, their desire was to make a name for themselves, to have the light shine on them. I love what John T. Willis says in his Living Word commentary. He says this, There is nothing sinful in and of itself in building a city and a tower. But the real sin is a self-centered attitude of the heart that often motivates such activity. Let us make a name for ourselves. Many worldly-minded individuals have been driven to long and hard work and to impressive achievements by this desire. And Jesus looks at the crowd and he's saying, Look, you need to beware. You need to fight constantly against this. Because let me just be frank here. This is all the dreams of all the little boys and girls that grow up in this world. It was my dream too. Who doesn't dream about being a CEO, a president, president of the United States, having people recognize our name? Let's do a little name game. If I say the company, I want you to give me the name that you associate with it. Like Tesla, what's the name that you associate with? I think I heard it, so we'll just move on. Facebook. Lakers. Okay, just don't say LeBron yet, okay? But uh, <laughs> there's always that one guy, you know, in the crowd that. 
But there is a desire sometimes within us. And sometimes the tricky part is that it, it's, it's mixed. Um, we have people in here that work so hard for the Lord. And since I don't get to come here often, I just want to point them out. Like, you know, Paul, Pastor Paul, I, I've known him since he was a freshman in, in college. And not to see him here sweating each and every day, coming so early to set up with Luke and Pastor John to make this work so smoothly. If he wasn't here, I'm sure things would fall apart, right? Okay, I think I heard one person say right, okay? <laughs> or like the worship team. They work so hard. I mean, you know the amount of work that it takes to set this up and get it ready for Sunday. They don't do it for your praise. But it's on a public setting. And it's weird because sometimes people will come up and say, hey, thank you for doing a good job. Thank you for working so hard. And it's tricky because all of a sudden you could be blinded and all of a sudden you could weirdly think, I'm the reason why this is happening. In all of our lives, this is something that we need to vigilantly fight against because this is something where all of a sudden, and this is really serious because what, it, what ends up happening is Jesus addressing the idea of you trying to steal the glory that's due God's name. And at the end of verse 1, he says, the Father rewards no one that does that. That's how serious it is. So how ought we to give? Well, in verse 2, it says this. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you. Now, that just sounds ridiculous, no? That just sounds ridiculous. It's as if like, hey, I'm going to go lead worship. Bring your trumpet. Before I start singing, you, you sound that trumpet. Uh, let's go serve the people. Hey, get the brass section. It just sounds ridiculous. But what is Jesus trying to point out? He's saying, don't bring any unnecessary attention to what you're doing. We have a term in our culture. We say what? Don't toot your own horn. It's very similar, right? Because he wants you to understand. People will see your good works publicly. It's unavoidable. But the idea here is don't do it for publicity's sake. If you look at C.S. Spurgeon, I love what he says about this. He says, alms may be given publicly. But for the sake of publicity, it is important that we have a right aim. For if we obtain the result of a wrong aim, our success will be a failure. And he calls them hypocrites, which essentially means actor, meaning you play a role that you actually aren't. And so what Jesus is saying is if you do that, you are literally playing a role of a person that you genuinely are not. Because God sees our heart. And he says, truly, they have received their reward. To emphasize this point, Jesus gives this hyperbole. He says in verse 3, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's a purposeful exaggeration to make a point. To say it is impossible for you to not know what your left hand is doing if you're right hand, right? But he's saying that's how extreme your giving should be. Not for your own glory, not for your own attention, but for God. I saw this on Facebook this week, and I think it's relevant to our discussion. It's a man named Timothy Bourbeau. So I want you to take a look at a, a video, just kind of shares his story a little bit. So take a look. Timothy Bourbeau is a teenager who has been diagnosed with a rare form of bone cancer his doctors say is terminal. 
When Timothy was approached by Make-A-Wish, he asked for something very unusual. 22 PlayStation 4s to be donated to hospital rooms at the Pediatric Hematology and Oncology Unit at Innova Fairfax Hospital in Falls Church, Virginia, to make the lives of other young cancer patients a little more comfortable. Timothy could have used his wish to go anywhere he wanted, meet anyone he wanted, or do anything he wanted, but instead he decided to use it to make life better for those around him. The hospital staff invited Timothy and his family to play the first games in the place where he has spent many days and nights. It's definitely a, uh, it's a blessing to be able to give something back for all the things that I've been given in my life. So. I, I thank you all. Timothy's mother says his family is heading to Florida as they prepare to say goodbye to Timothy, but his selflessness will make this hospital a happier place for many years to come. Thank you, Timothy. Got a quick question for you. Is this good or bad? I'd like for you to think about it a little bit. Is this good or bad? Sounds good. I hear that. It's a little tricky, isn't it? I want you to see what Jesus is saying. And it's pretty radical. And maybe you've been in a sermon or in a church context where you've heard this preached. But I want you to see how radical and strong of a word Jesus is giving. Because he's literally saying is, if you look at Timothy, I mean, he could have been on ESPN. He could have met LeBron James. He could have just hung out anywhere. I mean, he could have got a lot of attention. But he decided to give and do something good. But what Jesus is saying, and it's very shocking to the, the audience, he's saying, if Timothy does this for his own attention, it means nothing to God. Nothing. And so his audience is floored. Why do you do anything in your Christian life? Why are you here this morning? And Jesus is trying to give a word to help us understand that sometimes we can just lose our way a little bit and all of a sudden our motivation becomes something other than Jesus, you're worthy of everything. That's why I do it, because you are so good and worthy of it. So in verse 4, it's kind of our last point. So our motivation should be for the glory of our loving Father. If you look at verse 4, it says this, the last part, that your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now, I want you to understand that this teaching is one of, of a triad of teachings. So if you look at chapter 6, I know last week Pastor Sam preached on prayer. That's one of them. That's the middle one. This one is on charity or giving. The last one is on fasting. So it's the first of a triad of teachings. And they're all going to end with this sort of phrase, which is that the Father who sees you will reward you. So that has to be your motivation. That the Father sees everything that you do and your heart. So this morning, I just want to help you to understand that
when Jesus says it's the Father who sees you. And you're going to see this as you read chapter 6. Jesus is trying to emphasize that God is not a far-off God, a keeper of rules. He's not a person who wants to just shackle you with righteous rules to follow. He's your father who loves you dearly. And when you understand that and when you grasp that, you start seeing what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. That you cannot get to God because you feel good or you do enough. It's because the loving father embraces you in your brokenness. And that should motivate you. When you let the gospel take hold of your heart and you realize how much the Lord loves you when he shouldn't because we don't deserve it. Man, that, that motivates me. One of my favorite verses is Isaiah 43. And I want you to see God's love for you. It says this in verse 1. Now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob. Now that term Jacob is meant for you to understand that Jacob is the brother of Esau, a schemer, a sinner, a broken man. And when he calls the people that, he's trying to help you to understand that you don't deserve his glory. You don't deserve his love. He says, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Right, whatever you go through, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. I love verse 3. says this, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Look at verse 4. And this should, this should just floor you. It says, because you are precious in my eyes. Did you know that? That you are precious in God's eyes. And the next term, it, it, it goes on, and it just, it's more humbling. It says, and then you're honored. And he says, I love you. See, we don't have to make a name for ourselves because God has given us the best name, the redeemed sons and daughters of God. Amen? We don't need to make a name for ourselves. I love Acts 17, 24. Paul's giving a sermon, and he says this, the God who made everything, or the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Verse 25. It says, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything. He doesn't need anything from us. I want you to understand that. Why ought you give and be charitable? It's not because God needs it. It's not that God needs our money. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Verse 27. Paul gives us God's desire for us. He says this. For all mankind, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Let me just tell you something. You know what God is after, my brothers and sisters? He's after your heart. That's what he's after. That as you go through life, that you would feel through the journey of life and find him. That's what he's after. He's not after for charitable goods. Why do you do that? Because your heart is all for the Lord. 
I pray that we would live life in a way where we do all things and only care because God is the one that sees it. I'll end with a story. Uh, I remember we went to Russia missions with uh, my home church back that I grew up on. And so one of our members, his father was really unhappy that he chose to go on summer missions as opposed to do an internship. So his father was really against it. So the whole time he said, I'm not going to support you. I'm not going to come out to the send off or anything. So my brother, his, his friend, you know, my friend, he was really sad throughout the whole trip. And even when we were at LAX, we are at Tom Bradley, and uh, um, he's pretty sad because he said, you know what, I, I know my dad loves me, and so I, I, he's going to come. I, we don't see him. Mom is there, sister's not. Sister's there, but mom's not. No, dad's not there. So we're, you know, just getting ready, and we're about to go in. And it's like a scene from the movie. I, I'm not joking. His dad runs into Tom Bradley. And I don't know if you knew this, but it echoes. And he yells at the top of his lungs. He says, Eddie! And so we're all like, what's going on? He sees his dad. Tears start streaming down. He doesn't care who's watching. He runs. His dad starts running. I look at my team members. They all start crying. And they run and embrace. I've never seen two grown men cry like that before. Almost to the point where I was a little bit like, hey, that's a little much. <laughs> but let me tell you something. Eddie at that point did not care what anyone else thought. All he cared about was his, what his father would think how much his father would embrace and love him. I could imagine Jesus sitting there and talking to the crowd. And he knows the father's heart. And he looks at each every one of them and says, do you know how much God loves you? How blindly you're walking, thinking that you're going to please him by doing something. If you would just realize how much he cares for you as he's giving this sermon. I pray that that would be our motivation for every little thing that we do, that it would be for his glory, and that our desire would be to hear from him and him alone, good and faithful servant, come, come into my presence. Amen? Let's pray together. God, we... Sometimes forget. Sometimes life gets in the way. But your love for us is just, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe sometimes we, we heard about it too much. We don't want to be people that forget your deep, deep love for each and every one that regardless of what we do, your affection for us is just so profoundly unconditional. 
So how could we not want to live this life for you and for you alone? But this is a challenge for us, and you know that, God. So we ask for your help, Lord. Take this word deep into our hearts, God. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.